0: Today we're talking to Chad Jesperson. Chad is an Air Force veteran, did 20 years in the service, and is now at Unisys. And a little known fact, as an Air Force guy, he was an admiralty attorney. So Chad, welcome to the podcast.
1: Tom, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today.
0: So Chad, we'll start with where you are now, change things up. Unisys, how did you get there and what are you doing?
1: Sure. Well, first, I'd like to start out by saying Unisys uh, is a global IT solutions company. They provide solutions around the world to organizations of all stripes, uh, trying to solution their IT needs. My role is in HR, actually, and I'll tell you how I got there. I retired from the Air Force as a JAG officer in July of 2022. 22 months prior to that, it dawned on me that because I was going to be hitting retirement in the summer of 22, I needed to start making plans for what the next step in my, my career was. So at 22 months, I started getting busy. I started drafting my resume. I grabbed off of the, uh, one of the JAG websites that I'm a part of, uh, like probably 30 or 40 resumes, picked up the ones I like, and I just started drafting my own. I started getting into the networking here in San Antonio, uh, where I retired out of that Randolph Air Force Base. I started my networking to start bolstering that because little did I know, networking is a very important piece of the transition world for veterans. Eventually, cut to the chase, long story short, I was accepted into the Hiring Our Heroes Fellowship Program. Through that program, I was able to find a fellowship at Unisys Corporation, where I was actually offered a position or a fellowship in the data privacy world. That is a growing field as we are all exposed to more and more data flowing across the, the internet That's uh, an important piece to be able to learn how to protect that data. After three months, they offered me a position there, it's the thumbnail sketch of how I got here. So I've been employed with Unisys since April of 2021.
0: When you decided to pursue this Hiring Our Heroes Fellowship, did you at that time make a conscious decision to walk away from the law, if you will, or was it, I will see what they have and I'll take whatever I can get if it meets my needs and my interests and my desires?
1: I was open to anything. I wasn't consciously walking away from the legal profession, but I knew that, A, it was going to be probably a pretty big jump into the civilian attorney role, and I was more than willing to do that. But I also was very keen on taking my skill set into a different realm to see what I could do in the business side of the, the private sector. I did not have a huge desire to go into the civil service like many of our shag brethren do. I wanted to see what I could do in the private sector. That's why the data privacy role was really kind of an exciting opportunity for me. And my background way back before even the, the Air Force was in HR with an undergraduate degree in HR and experience in that realm. So I always had enjoyed that. And practically speaking, as JAGs, you know, a lot of our, our roles have a lot to do with personnel and whether they continue to serve in your branch of the military or not. So in, the, in that re- regard, I was very experienced with a lot of you know core personnel issues.
0: Second question I have for you is how was the hiring our heroes fellowship process? Was it easy? Was it hard? Did you need a lot of lead time? How did, it, how did that work? Well, when you first start out in the transition
1: way space, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's out there to, to, to start you know, sort of driving towards. But the Hiring of Heroes emerged as a major player in the veterans transition space and went to their website, read up on it. and also talked to other people who had experienced it. Actually, quite a few people who I spoke with had experienced it. And I found out quickly, I even attended a, a job fair here in San Antonio pre-COVID that they hosted. And it was an incredibly top-shelf organization. I was blown away by how robust and professional their messages were, their delivery was, and the people who they pulled in to deliver those messages. Was incredible. So I was able to apply, get accepted into that program, and just through a series of cohorts, which is how they function, they do a cohort every about three a year, I believe. I was able to be given access to the cohort. And, and then from there, they just guide you through that process with the ultimate goal of, of placing you in a fellowship role at a, one of their partner companies across the country. Really well resourced. I have nothing nothing bad at all to say about 100 Heroes. And once this sort of fellowship process starts, they basically market you to any organization they can. So for instance, I had conversations with Amazon, with USAA, uh, with Rackspace, which is a San Antonio uh, IT company. Than than of course Unisys. And so I really enjoyed my conversation with Unisys and and that's why I chose them. Great. And so
0: what are you doing now?
1: After the fellowship ended, the chief compliance officer, who was an attorney in her prior professional life, really advocated for me. And they picked me up and created a role for me in HR. So I continued to wear the data privacy hat, if you will. So I still am participating in that area within the HR realm. They also utilize some of my JAG experience by giving me an ethics investigation hat wear. And So I have conducted a number of complex and senior level investigations that I think have gone over quite well. And then currently, the bulk of my role is working in the mergers and acquisitions and transition space. So Unisys has gone back into the M&A business like so many companies have. And so we assist the HR transition of personnel and sort of streamlining that process and aligning the company that we're gaining you know, into Unisys so that it's, it's a one-size-fits-all thing with the goal of not losing anyone. We're, we're picking up a company that we value highly. And usually that really boils down to is the, the people in that company. So we yeah. want to make sure that we are a desirable place for them to call home.
0: So those last two things you talked about, compliance ethics and mergers and acquisitions, hard jump, big jump, easy jump big jump.
1: And it's it's not in a vacuum. I mean, when you're going to, to a company brand new, and I know this is not an unknown thing, is we're going from a military environment to a civilian environment. And we're going from military language to civilian language. And we're going from a, a culture that is very defined by our uniforms, by our customs and courtesies, ultimately by the UCMJ, to sort of a, a place where you feel very naked and not sure about how to navigate things. It's been hard in that regard, so that probably added a layer of complexity for me, sure. which is slowly dissipating over time as I get used to the environment. Uh, but you know, as military members, we're used to adapting. I think that's a fairly known reality. But just trying to figure out who's who and how do I interact with these people who I have no clue if if they're the the CEO or if they're you know someone very junior. It's not that I wouldn't treat them with respect and dignity anyway. Right. But you just don't kind of know what that looks like, and you know, in a military, if you get a task, it's usually well defined. You'll you'll do this by this date, and this is the product I'm expecting. Sometimes that ask doesn't always look like that in the civilian world. It it may be couched, communicated in a little more softer terms. So you really have to develop those listening skills, and, and if you're not quite understanding, to go back and clarify. Hey, I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you're you're requesting me to do or accomplish. But the M world, we don't have that function in the military, other than maybe. If you consider conquering a foe, some sort of an acquisition, I suppose that could be considered that. But realistically, things move very quickly. So just understanding the subject, the pace, who do I go to for help or who do I need to collaborate with? It, you Kind of a lot of times uh, I'm expected to know who to, to uh, ping if you want to get data
0: or, or collaborate on the project. And so
1: that's that's been a great
0: learning curve for me. When did you start approaching your transition out of the Air Force and how did you go about doing it? So about 22
1: months out, I kind of had this epiphany, like I need to start doing this. And, and, you know, I'd rather have a long runway to make that transition before I hit retirement date. And so I just started first with the resume and really focusing on your resume. And this was this was my strategy was focus on the resume, because for those of us who've been in 20 or more years, we've done a lot of stuff. But a lot of those things we've done and accomplished, they kind of drift off into the memory banks. Right. We don't we don't think about them every day. And so I pulled all my OPRs and took them and I just sat down one day and I created basically, it probably must've been an eight page resume. The, the intent was to just get that on paper. Mm-hmm. Then I went back and I started just shaving it down and shaving it down and shaving it down and, and civilianizing it using verbiage that someone who hadn't served would understand. And and just making it a, a two page document, really two pages is all anyone's really looking for. The, the beauty of that is, it was almost like journaling. When you write a lot and you start processing your information, you really start to appreciate what you've done over the years and the things that you're capable of. And so by that practice of, of drafting your resume yourself versus maybe paying someone to do it, I was able to just understand myself a little bit better what I had done. Once that had been accomplished, I was able to take that resume and then create my LinkedIn profile. And that was a really advantageous way to go about doing that in that order. So resume, then LinkedIn. And then I started getting involved in the networking opportunities. So I'm living in San Antonio. As everyone who's in the military might have cycled through here, at least in the Army and Air Force. So it's Military City USA, right? There's a lot of veterans here. And there's a really robust veteran support and transition system here. Whether it's formal or informal, it's, it's really good. So I started going to in-person networking events when I could. Then the pandemic kind of shut some of that down. And anything I could do to just sort of get in that space by networking. The neat thing about the pandemic, though, I think for me is it had a really positive effect on my ability to participate in meetings and networking events without leaving you know, the comfort of my home. And so I could hop on a call for an hour without getting in my car and burning gas and having to worry about a wardrobe necessarily and meet people fairly easily. I also participated in other things that I thought would be useful. So we... Had a small group of us who participated in what I affectionately called the, the Breakfast Club every Saturday morning hop on a call, run hour and the, the membership ebbed and flowed, but there was a core group and we just talked about job searches and and strategies and pass information back and forth. That was really valuable. I also started getting involved in a couple of different organizations like the San Antonio chapter for human resource management, which is a fantastic chapter for those interested in human in resource management. American Corporate Council, uh, another organization that has chapters around the country. I started going to luncheons here in San Antonio just to make connections there. Uh, Military Officers Association of America, that was a really good one. You know, people who often leave the military end up in some very influential roles. And so if you can sort of tap into that, I went to the Christian Legal Society luncheons. Those are just great ways to sort of get my foot in the door and make relationships with people. There's two or three other things. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of American Corporate Partners. That's a veteran organization for veterans to get a mentor.
0: And on that, American Corporate Partners, I see that it's a year-long mentoring, but are you able to link up with them if you have less than a year? Does it require you to be in a skill bridge position? Do you know?
1: No, it doesn't require a skill bridge position. In terms of the year-long mentorship, that is sort of the expectation is how it works is They'll do an interview. They'll pair you up with someone who's of like profession. Mm -hmm. I was able to get general counsel from a collegiate sports marketing firm. We met once a a month for an hour virtually. I think under special circumstances, I don't see why you couldn't request less than a year. And and frankly, you could probably just keep the year and it's going to go right into your civilian status. That's probably okay. And then there's an organization called Candorful Uh, through an interview process. They'll get you into the organization and they will offer three mock interviews from you know highly placed corporate professionals. And I can tell you from my experience, they were very good. Behavioral-based interview questions. And then they do a hot wash after with you about what they liked about your, your responses and maybe things you can improve upon. And then they provide a written response and evaluation mm-hmm. as well. It's very robust. I did a few more than that at my request. And that came with a donation to their organization as well. But I found it to be very valuable just to have those experiences. And, and to be honest with you, it's the same questions that they ask every interview. Some people appreciate certain responses that you give more than others. And it's just yeah. kind of the way the, the world works is your audience is different. And they're going to, you know, value your responses a little bit differently. And then hiring our heroes, obviously, yeah, participate in that. Four Block, is another organization out there that is about a two plus month, uh, once a week meeting. Yeah. You know, they go over interview skills and, and negotiating salaries and resumes and cetera. So it's, it's very valuable, and that was a very valuable experience as well.
0: You know, you, you were touching on the uh, pandemic. You know, what I'm hearing is it's just changed the landscape of employment and of interviewing. The the one that I'm releasing tomorrow, uh, he did a virtual round robin of six interviews without ever traveling three hours for the job that he ended up getting. I think it also, for the networking aspect, I know from just this podcast, the ability to connect people, put names and faces and voices together, and it's more intimate than a phone call or some sort of VTC, for example. So you're, you know, people, it's no big deal now to pick up the Zoom and Zoom somebody. It's now a verb and have a conversation. It's a thing now.
1: I think it, it shook the tree loose, right? We had to have a solution for not being able to be in person anymore. And I think it was fantastic. And um, it just, I think it opened the eyes to the corporate world about how we can do business without being in person. And frankly, you know, you think about it, yes, there's some jobs that, that being in person's, uh, you know, it's it's a necessity, but my job market just got much larger when it became a thing that jobs could be accomplished virtually now. Yes, there's, I mean, and there are people who have Wanted to return to the office or had a modified virtual schedule, so they'll work, you know, three or four days from home and go to the office once a week or whatever. But at the end of the day, I can work for a company in Massachusetts if they're willing to do the virtual thing. And I think, from the employer standpoint, I think it's a win-win. People that you're able to, to attract has just gotten much larger.
0: Now, your networking—did you have a lot of one-on-ones or is it basically these group settings? It was mostly group.
1: I was able to reach out to a number of people one-on-one just to see how they made the transition. I I had a number of conversations with Air Force Jags who had already transitioned out of the service. A couple of times, those were with people who had actually gone through the Hiring Our Heroes experience, wanted to find out what they thought about it, and whether they thought it was a value add to their transition efforts. I, I can tell you one experience I had that was really interesting. It was the polar opposite of what I would define as successful. I got on a call with general counsel from a general counselor of many attorneys at at Amazon. And he had had prior military experience. I went into the call thinking, I'm going to ask some questions, a little more of a shoot from the hip. And it kind of turned into a a dumpster fire, at least from my perspective, because I failed to recognize that someone else's time is very valuable. Some of these companies, they're down to the minute by minute Zoom meetings. And so I did learn some things with him. But I think the biggest takeaway for me was make sure when you go into an interview with someone that you have a very specific set of questions and objectives with that interview and to respect their time for that. And uh, that was, it was a good lesson in
0: understanding that dynamic. So
1: I had not quite prepared like I should have.
0: Which leads me or segues into the next thing. I mean, I've been thinking about Candorful, just haven't pulled the trigger, but I've never sat through an interview. Uh, I did one screening interview not too long ago, but those behavioral based questions mm-hmm. and, and, and all those, you know, I I can just foresee myself stumbling, you know, and I've read stuff about what they're getting at, what they're trying to discern, right. but actually being on the seat to have to answer them when they're posed to you instead of, you know, writing them out and thinking about them.
1: Yeah. It's, it's intense, but, you know, I think as attorneys, most of us are fairly adept at being faced with a question from a military judge that you didn't see coming or having to answer, uh, provide a response to something on the spot. And, and those are valuable experiences you know, collectively. It doesn't mean we're not going to have a few uh, mess ups in an interview question, but they are behavior based, which is good. I think those types of questions are very valuable. It does provide a very thought provoking opportunity in retrospect about why is my brain, why does my mind go to this Go this direction when a question is asked. And, and so, you know, my encouragement for anyone would be to take advantage of Candorful. It's a small organization. It's very well run, well organized, and their objectives are, are clearly defined. It's to give you an opportunity to practice. And those three interviews, if you do them all, they, they're just very good. They, they provide insight into how, how your brain works and, and how you respond to unforeseen subjects. They provide a way for you to, to prepare in the future, lessons learned. What I would encourage people to do is as they're going through this transition experiences, first of all, develop your elevator pitch. We've all heard that. Is what are you trying to do? What is it your objective is? Who are you and where are you coming from? And, and that's, they say, what, 60 to 90 seconds, you've got an ear of someone? Nail that down. It is really a good lesson for someone to do that and do it a lot. Write it down first. And like I said, when I did my resume, just writing all that down over and over and massaging that data really helped my brain figure out kind of what I had done and what things I was good at. That's also true for the elevator pitch. You really need to get that dialed in so that when you're in a spot, you don't see see an opportunity coming and it presents itself that you're good to go and provide that answer to someone.
0: You know, I just did four block as well, and it was mostly virtual, but, you know, they would often put us in a virtual room with somebody from a company. And we had to do that. You know, we had to give the elevator speech over and over again. And, you know, it, it became a matter of just like a routine muscle memory response. You know, yeah, sometimes they say, hey, listen, you got 30 seconds because we're crunched for time and just, you know, getting the the high points out to them. Now, granted, those these people are not usually not going to be at the hiring level, but the whole idea of just being able to talk about yourself in a very short pitch with a meaning, trying to be efficient and economical with the words of who you are and what you want to do, and hoping to to, to strike a chord. I thought was valuable.
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, it seemed to me, at least in retrospect, that most of us in the military, we're not there to brag about what we did. Right. You know, I did this many things. I mean, that's just sort of my recollection, at least for me, was I didn't, I really wasn't interested in in having that type of maybe bravado or something like that. But it's important for each of us to identify. What we're good at, where you wanna, where you want to go, what do you want to do? Those are important questions to ask yourself. You know we've been told what to do for most of our careers, so it's now time to start developing that ability to identify that and express it. One resource that I found valuable, you know there's some good books out there on Amazon that I've, I've purchased, and they have behavioral interviews. Those are valuable to go through, same with you know elevator pitches and, and strategies for developing those. But I, I found that uh, YouTube is a great resource just to see how people did it well. And that's the way we learn is reading and and watching and and talking and experiencing those opportunities to practice. So it's not a secret formula. It's just get out there and start putting yourself out there and and doing it. That is what needs to happen, in my opinion.
0: Now, the, the issue of remuneration and compensation did you feel pretty confident going into that? Were you able to come up with sort of a baseline or a, a window of what they were paying and what you were going to negotiate for? I did. You know, I knew what I needed to have just to for our family to, to live.
1: And I was fairly confident I could get that. You know, there's there's op- there's ways to research what you're looking for, what you're going to do, and try and get that, that range in of what the position will probably fall into from, from a salary perspective. And when they made the offer at Unisys, I thought it was fair and I was able to negotiate it up a little bit and I was pleased with that. So, you know, one thing to to understand is if you get a job after, you know, the giant core, it's probably not gonna be your last job. Yeah. Right. So it's it's statistically, I think that's proven that you'll probably hold a couple jobs over that remaining, you know, life of your career. But there's nothing wrong with shooting for the moon. I would I would tell people never sell yourself short. One of the perspectives I see out there is I just want to get a job because it's my first one, and therefore if i if I demand a high wage or salary, then maybe there's this expectation that i'm going to have I'm going to deliver the world to them when I'm not sure they can do that. And so um, you know being aggressive, being professional and reasonable about what you want, even if they offer you what you want, maybe asking for a little bit more, the worst they're going to say is no so i would I would go for it and you know, I saw different people having that that thought differently. I saw people who were just, they were down to the, the pennies of what they needed, than the strategies that they developed to get what they wanted. And there were other people out there who were just very laissez-faire about their, their sort of salary needs. Um, yeah. So you just have a, a large difference of how people view salary negotiation and, and whether it's super duper important to them, because I'm not sure that it is for everyone.
0: Yeah. I, my point is, too, is that we're not good at haggling. You know, no. we come from a culture that you pay the sticker price of what you pay. Whereas, you know, we've been in these countries where it's expected to haggle and that that first price. And we, we have a tendency not to haggle. And it's back to your point about that. We'll just say no, just not wanting to come across as ungrateful or unprofessional. And so yeah. you sit on it. Good stuff. It's a, so- it's, it's a little nerve
1: wracking, but you know what? Uh, it's these are new muscles and we all have to 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 start exercising. Right.
0: It's how the world works you were uh, mentioned professional development yeah so what do you mean by that
1: right now i am i'm involved with the san antonio chapter of the first society of human resource management and there's a lot of opportunities there more than enough opportunities there for me to sort of sharpen my hr skills i mean and it's a very well run organization there's other organizations out there whether you're a project manager or you're in it or you have certifications that you can obtain and those i think are valuable I also think, as we know from attorneys what, having to maintain our CLEs, that the more certifications that you get, the more continuing education obligations you're obviously going to incur, and those sometimes cost money. So you have to figure out if the certification is worth it. If, you know, in that regard, anything you can do to get yourself into some sort of program or expose yourself to to the legal profession, say in a, in a civilian capacity, maybe uh, association corporate counsel would be a good opportunity. They I believe, have coursework as well. Uh, just expose yourself to anything you can to, to get yourself smart. And it's really not rocket science. I had a conversation with my boss recently. She's like, just take some time each week and go into you know our website and start observing some of the, the videos that they have and different ways to get smart in the business. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to be a process where over time, whether through direct reading or osmosis, you're gonna start acquiring knowledge of how things work in the civilian side. And and I think some of it's very low tech, very basic, and, and some of it's more intentional and informal. Um, but anything you can do to just to, I, I say, make yourself smarter
0: in that regard is, is
1: gonna benefit you.
0: Sounds good. Well, Chad, we've been, believe it or not, we've been going on for about 30 minutes, and conversations always amaze me that they go so fast when you actually start talking. But how has it been culturally? Going from the uniform to the civilian to, the, to civilian setting, did the pandemic help in that regard as well? That's a great question. And
1: I was having a conversation yesterday with someone over lunch. And I said, you know, in the military, I was told where to be, what to wear, you know, how to talk, how to interact. How, how fast I should run <laughs> or, or at least how, how slow I shouldn't run and what job I was going to have and when I was going to deploy. And, and it, it was just the constant churn of change. And, you know, we, I got used to it and there's a lot of things that we do that are just amazing, but there are some difficulties that I had in just terms of understanding when I hung up my keyboard at the end of the day, did I do a good job? Did I meet the expectations of those who I'm responsible to? I think it's a slow process. Yes, we can write a legal review, right? We can do an investigation. We can punch that out. But I mean, overall, am I con- contributing in the way that they want me to contribute? That's yeah. what I'm trying to do. And, and so, you know, as long as you go to work every day, like, like, I, like I tell my children, show up on time and, and be agreeable. And I think we've seen in past podcasts that we can teach you a lot of stuff, but if you can show up on time and contribute in a positive manner, that's really what your employers are looking for. And I think that's going to get you to point B and beyond very well. Is that good attitude and good ethic?
0: Well, Chad, I appreciate your time. I appreciate all the, the information you've provided. I, I can't even remember how we got linked up, but we got linked up, and you know this is not our first conversation. We had probably a forty five minute hour long conversation last week. And the same thing, everything you said here is is you lived it. you You've opened up your network to me, and you know we have an obligation to keep that going people like me that receive that generosity and and the helping hand on the way out the door. So thanks a lot. Thanks for your time last week. And thanks for today.
1: You know, one thing I noticed when as a JAG transitioning, there's a lot of programs out there, but they tend to be designed for different career choices or functions. The JAGs tend to be sort of a one-off, maybe two-off. Absolutely they're very happy we're there. They just don't know what to do with this.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, yeah. And, and so one thing I'd like to say is when I saw your, and I think the, the way we got, we got connected was I saw your podcast. I was like, oh my goodness, there's a thing about stuff we do out there on a podcast. And that was really cool. And so I listened to it, I'm like, this is great. And I think I must've reached out to you on LinkedIn initially, and that's how we probably got connected. But for the Jags out there, if it's feeling a little one-off, that was my experience too. But you have a whole connection of of Jags out there who've done this before you. So rely on them and reach out to them and just talk to them. And then by the way, Tom, this podcast is fantastic. I hope 10 years from now, either you're still doing it or you've handed off the reins to someone else who's kind of at the cusp of transition as well, because it is a great resource.
0: Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.